0: Episode 131, The Butterfly Effect. You're listening to The Game Changers with Jason Jennings. Leadership lessons in speed, productivity, growth, innovation, and reinvention. Now, here's worldwide best-selling author and speaker, Jason Jennings, and your host, Dale Dixon. Welcome to The Game Changers, the podcast dedicated to leading highly principled people to their full potential. I'm your host, Dale Dixon. This is The Game Changers with Jason Jennings, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today bestselling author of of eight books on leadership, growth, innovation, speed, and reinvention. Jason, great to be with you today.
1: Uh, Dale, great to be back with you. Uh, in beginning today, I've got to point something out, that line that you always use, best-selling author of eight books on leadership, growth, innovation, speed, and reinvention. Um, this week, I got an email from, from someone in Indonesia, and they said, uh, Dale always says eight books, but I can only find seven books. What is the eighth book? And uh, the eighth book that we include in that is, I'm not even sure if we've ever talked about this, is... Uh, The 15-Minute Heart Cure uh, that I authored with uh, Dr. John Kennedy about seven or eight years ago, which became a bestseller and was profiled by Diane Sawyer on ABC World News Tonight. Uh, It was a big book. So The Missing Eighth Book, and I've never really talked about it on my website uh, because I've never wanted to confuse the public. So, yeah, there have been eight successful books, but one of them was The 15-Minute Heart Cure. Oh, cool. Thanks for clearing that up. All right. I mean, we want to be transparent and accurate in all we do.
0: Absolutely. And uh, I want to go back in time to episode 120. Uh, We talked about nickel and diming, and you shared some great stories about some experiences you had nickel and diming and being nickel and dimed, I should say. And you
1: have an update for us. Uh, I do. Uh, So, over the years, I've been kind of a little loosey-goosey about hotel bills, uh, and for those people who travel all the time, you know that uh, every morning as you're about to check out of the hotel, they slip a paper bill uh, under your door, and, and very seldom have I ever really looked at them. Well, I got all over it uh, uh, as a result of the episode which caused us to do the nickel and diming episode. So, so here's this week's update. So uh, I'm in uh, Florida doing a speech, and the client communication says, the client is paying room and tax. Mr. Jennings will only be charged for his incidentals at this hotel. And so I check in and I verify it's all going to a master account, the room and tax for the client. I'm only paying for incidentals. Here's the Amex card. Uh, thank you very much. So I'm about to check out of the hotel on Wednesday morning, and I just decided to take a look at the bill. And uh, I'm I'm figuring the bill. I was there two days. Uh, I figured it might be $150, a couple of breakfasts, uh, one room service dinner. Uh, I think I had a shirt done. So I thought bill be $150 or something. And the bill says $1,280. And I'm going, now, what in the world is this $1,280? How many times did you raid the the honor bar? (laughs) Yeah, how often did I go to the mini bar? (laughs) Uh, Not once. And uh, so I I just, I'm almost breathing heavy. And so I uh, go down to the front desk and I said, now, what is all of this about? I understand that uh, the room and the tax were being billed to the client, but now you've apparently billed everything to my Amex card as well. So, I mean, she's playing with the keyboard and she can't get any place. And finally, a manager comes out. He can't get any place. And finally, somebody else comes out and they've got three people playing on the computer. And uh, finally, they said, oh, that's not right. And uh, they had charged the client's American Express card for the room attacks, which was on file, and they had charged mine. And I said, if I hadn't caught this, what would have happened? They said, uh, you both would have been charged. So uh, what I urge everybody to do is check out your darn hotel bill when you're leaving a hotel because they're out to get you. They're, they're out to get you. I'm absolutely convinced of it. All right. Thank you for the reminder. Sorry you had to go through that. I I have to ask you a question. I have to ask you a question as we begin. Okay. So, uh, So a week ago, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, I was reading a column in a newspaper, and it talked about the butterfly effect. And I went, now, what in the world is the butterfly effect? So I ripped the page out, and uh, I finally had a research day this week after I returned from the speaking trip. And so I spent several hours uh, uh, checking out the butterfly effect. And uh, so I asked you before we went on, I said, have you ever heard about the butterfly effect? And you said, oh, gosh, yes, I've even got a speech about the butterfly effect. I mean, how how did you come across the butterfly effect? I mean, I feel like I'm the only one who might not have known about this.
0: Oh, um, my first experience with it uh, was hearing a guy by the name of Andy Andrews talk about it. And it was – I think I had the same reaction you did. I was like, no way. And so I went and I researched it. And sure enough, uh, all you have to do is look into this sensitive dependence on initial conditions. And it's – it's pretty much a law. I mean, it has been proven time and time again from a scientific standpoint. So I was, when I saw the headline for this podcast, The Butterfly Effect, I was really excited to hear your take on it.
1: Well, I'm not sure how... Uh, I, I think there is an applicability in, in, in decision-making to consider the ramifications and the effect of the butterfly effect, uh, but I also know that it'll make you v- appear very smart at uh, cocktail parties and receptions when you can talk about the butterfly effect. And so just um, how it got its name, the butterfly effect, uh, my understanding is, is this. Imagine this. You're, you're in the Amazon, and there is a butterfly flapping its wings. Well, one... Uh, flap of its wings is sufficient to dislodge a small leaf that was brown and dying on a tree. And the leaf falls to the earth, and some weeks later, this uh, leaf is blown into the river and goes starts floating down the river. But at some point in time, uh, there's been a dam uh, that's been created by uh, waste from from trees and and downed limbs, and it's, it's starting to resemble a dam. But the argument is that this, this one little leaf might just be enough, I mean to to be that final little piece of mortar in that in the, in that dam that wasn 't intended to be, which as a result now all of a sudden there 's this tremendous backup of water and flooding over hundreds or thousands of acres there 's a weather system in formation it picks up all of this moisture it causes a hurricane to hit texas and uh, and claiming lives and property and therefore did the one flap of the butterfly's wings cause the hurricane to land in Texas? I mean, it's just, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. And, and what, what it's part of, and I, I guess it's because I took the bare math minimum to finish school, but it's all a respected part of chaos theory. Uh, and the butterfly effect, then, is the uh, sensitive dependence on an initial condition in which a small, tiny change in one state of a nonlinear system can result in a huge difference in a later state. And Dale, I kept digging and digging and digging, and I found a fascinating example of the butterfly effect. Do you want to hear about it? I do. Take us through. All right, so this comes uh, from a guy by the name of Jeffrey Woodison, who's an engineer and scientist. I've got a linked out or LinkedIn invitation out to him. And here's his story. Uh, he says, "A ship of Cuban immigrants sinks, uh, and it leads to America invading Iraq." Now, think about that. So, Cuban immigrant ship sinks, and it leads to American invading Iraq. Here's the story. He said, November 21st, 1999, a small boat carrying a dozen Cuban immigrants trying to get to Miami sank. Two of the passengers were a young boy named Alien Gonzalez, who we all remember, and his mother Elizabeth. Alien survived the sinking, but his mother did not. Well, if he had drowned, or if she had survived, none of us would have ever heard the story. But he survived, as everybody knows, and he was rescued by fishermen and brought to Miami. Well, at this point, the story becomes an international incident, he says. Uh, Alien was taken in by relatives in Miami, but his father still lived in Cuba, and he wanted him back. So what would usually be a simple custody issue, which the father would almost certainly win, was complicated by 50 years of Cuban-American relations. The huge Cuban-American population in Miami has extremely negative feelings toward the Castro government in Cuba. I know that to be true. And to them, including Alien's relatives, sending the child back to Cuba was unthinkable. But the law pretty clearly gave parental rights to the father. So the U.S. government as the story goes, ordered that Alien be returned to his father. Alien's American relatives refused. The situation, while technically peaceful, was incredibly volatile and could turn violent at a moment's notice. In fact, most of people will remember the Border Patrol sent in an armed team to storm the house and take Alien back by force. No one was hurt, but armed government agents storming a house to seize a child played very badly in the media. Well, what happened is the incident gave then-President Clinton a serious political black eye, particularly among Cuban Americans, which a group is largely concentrated in Florida. Well, it just so happened that it was an election year, and Clinton's Vice President Al Gore was running to replace him. Clinton's political troubles ended up being passed on to his would-be successor. Well, the 2000 election was the closest in U.S. history. The U.S. electoral system is set up so that whoever wins a state gets all the votes for that state. Florida's a big state, and its votes ended up deciding the election. Al Gore ended up losing the state by an incredibly thin margin in an election that still remains controversial, which means that George Bush became the 43rd president of the United States. Now, it's highly unlikely that had the alien Gonzalez incident never happened, Al Gore would have been president because the the Cuban population of Florida would not have turned out in mass against Gore. Well, the consequences of a presidential election are numerous, but there are some very clear ones in this case. Less than a year into Bush's first term, the World Trade Center was destroyed by terrorists. Both Republicans and Democrats agree that Gore would have responded differently to the attacks. Uh, Naturally, Republicans insist he would have done much worse. Democrats insist he would have done much better. But most obviously, while Gore might have still attacked Afghanistan, it's a near certainty there's no way he would have attacked Iraq. So, Here's the butterfly effect. Had Aliens' boat not sank, or had his mother survived, Saddam Hussein would still be in power, 4,500 Americans and 100,000 Iraqis would still be alive, a trillion dollars would not have been spent, and ISIS would probably not exist. At the same time, President Obama was elected primarily in response to the unpopularity of the Bush administration, so there's no way of knowing who would have ever ended up in the Oval Office. So a single human death, it's more than a flap of a butterfly's wings, but the consequences of it... Are enormous. Now, is that a fascinating example of the butterfly effect, or what?
0: It is to start connecting the dots like that, Um, and you can keep playing it through. When you even, if you want to connect it back into Cuba and and the relationship that is uh, slowly being restored that that initiated in the Obama administration. So it's just uh, it's fascinating. Politics aside, to watch how one one single event can have impact years and uh, even decades later.
1: And so, um, so the question I always like to ask is I always imagine whoever I'm talking to has a post-it note in the middle of their forehead and they've got the words written on it. So what, or what does this mean to me? Well, uh, I, I guess uh, uh, none of us can see the future, and we can't understand if, or, or we'll never know if one flap of a butterfly's wings uh, caused something to happen. Uh, but, but the, I think the practical ramifications of it are, and one of the things I've learned over the years um, is that uh, I, I know that words count. And so over the years, I, I, I believe that I have a, a, a big responsibility uh, during a speech, for example, to use words very carefully because you don't know what what words people are going to hear. People are going to hear what they need to hear when they need to hear it, and you want to make sure that you're giving them solid fact-based information because many of them are going to act on it. So I know I measure my words, and so I'm asking, so what is the practical implication of the butterfly effect uh, in business? And I think it's only this. Uh, I think it's always to be mindful and present and ask, um, what set of actions may I possibly be setting into effect? as a result of this decision? And then just pause and think about it. And you'll never have any way of knowing, but I think just asking that question, what set of unintended actions or consequences may I possibly be setting into effect as a result of this decision? So I I think uh, that part of chaos theory probably would uh, go a long way just toward uh, making us more considerate thinkers. So what are some Uh, You know, I'm thinking of a
0: checklist or what are the ways that you have conditioned yourself and created a habit around being mindful, especially in this area, to be thinking, what impact will this decision have?
1: Um You know, these have all become buzzword bingo words uh, recently, Uh, being mindful, being present. uh, I hear them now. uh, I I never heard those words uh, four or five years ago. I I hear them all the time now. And so I think that being mindful and being present and being in the here and now for me is – Uh, For example, before I'm uh, going to do a speech, I I may be in the back of a ballroom. There may be a couple of thousand people in the ballroom. Somebody is getting set to uh, introduce myself or introduce me. And being mindful and present is just going into, for me, uh, a silent mode where I take in the space around me. I take uh I think about the responsibility that I have to do no harm and to hopefully deliver value to these people. I I will take a long hard look at some of the people in the audience and I will try to imagine their story and and what they're there for and what they're looking for and then it's about giving myself to the event. And I find that, um, increasingly I do that more, more and more frequently when I'm about to make a decision. I, it's, it's considering the, uh, enormous potential consequences of a word you're about to write a speech you're about to make, uh, or a decision you're about to make. And it's doing it, uh, in a quiet, reflective state. Does that make any sense or does that just really sound out there?
0: No, no, it definitely does. I'm just thinking, I think about myself uh, in relation to this and oftentimes we get so caught up, I get so caught up in the urgency of the moment. I tend to forget about the impact, the butterfly effect of every action and every decision. And it's how do I cultivate in me uh, the reminder and the habit to be thinking about the future in from that standpoint for in the present for the present conditions the present circumstances the present decisions and actions and so that's why I was the tools to start to cultivate that in myself and hopefully that's a tool that the listener can take as well because I don't think I'm alone in this case of just getting caught up in the urgency of the moment.
1: And 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 you know, uh, I guess a, a final thought on that is, um, uh, I guess it was maybe uh, I don't know, two or three years ago, uh, and, and maybe this is the tool that you're you're asking about. Um, I remember I was I walked into this very very. Busy, busy hotel lobby in uh, in Paris, and I was about to check in, and this was right after uh, the um, terrorist attack in Paris, uh, so tensions were extraordinarily high. I, I felt I was in this very vulnerable spot, and and so all I did is I imagined, and I, I remember this happening. I thought, you know, before I proceed any further, I just need to press a pause button. And I pressed this pause button, and I just examined uh, the ways in and the ways out. I kind of looked at every one, and I just put everything on pause for about 30 seconds while I examined everything, and then uh, I continued to uh, to check in. And I, I use that thing with the pause button a lot these days. Uh, And I think that's, what I was talking about being present uh, or being intentional, uh, I find a number of times throughout the day, I just say, you know, I'm going to hit a pause button for 30 seconds and just take it all in and think about it and not move as a frantic person from uh, meeting to meeting and event to event, but just hitting a metal pause button a, a few times during the day just to consider everything around me. A great reminder.
0: Thank you so much. It's the butterfly effect and the impact our decisions have every day. Any final words
1: for us? Uh yeah, I had an opportunity this week. I I for, I don't know why we uh, don't talk about this book uh, very much, um, but um, my 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 book hit the ground running. A manual for new leaders. I was uh, looking for a piece of information this week, and so I happened to take that book down from the shelf and uh, talk about being present and hitting pause. I uh, I spent about a half hour uh, leafing through some of the papers or some of the pages, and I kept thinking, "Gee whiz, I." I I forgot about that story, or I forgot about that company, or wow, this is... Powerful advice. Uh, so uh, if you are a new leader, if you're about to be promoted, if you've recently taken over, uh, hit the ground running a manual for new leaders. Studied uh, those CEOs who created the greatest amount of value uh, after they were promoted to the position of CEOs. And, and we got inside their heads and we found that the practical advice, the practical things they did to allow themselves to become such high-performing managers, executives. Executives or, or CEOs, and so uh, if uh, somebody listening hasn't read that book, uh, download the book. It's uh, uh, I was reminded of just how much I love the research for that book and how powerful the contents are
0: fantastic thank you so much i'd like to remind our listeners that you can ask jason a question anytime via twitter just uh, use hashtag ask jason jennings super simple we're watching it all the time hashtag ask jason jennings also uh, follow jason he is tweeting and uh, we'd love to see you on social media You know, Jason Jennings is the author who USA Today calls one of the three most in-demand business speakers in the world. You can find out how to arrange to have Jason keynote your next event or leadership conference. Also learn about his fees and availability. Just go to the website, jason-jennings.com, and click on the contact button. Follow those instructions. This is The Game Changers, the podcast dedicated to leading highly principled people to their full potential.